So for every eight women, mm-hmm. one of them will be diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, that's very high. Yeah. It's as high as like having the common cold at winter. Yeah. Cancer is not what it used to be where it's like this. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African Podcast with your host, Anya Fombat. Today, we have a guest, Mabingu, who will be here to give us more insight on a very important topic that is truly close to my heart. And this is on breast cancer. Now, as you have seen in the last couple of episodes, there are a few topics that I tend to focus on, especially women, like topics that are, you know, involve women. And we've talked about breast cancer a lot. We've talked about fibroids, just to name a few. So these are topics that I will never stop talking about, mainly just because A lot of us are still not informed about this topic. So it's very important to have people who have had those experiences come on this platform and share their experiences in case anybody can relate to it or in case anyone can be sensitized enough to focus on their health and check themselves. So Mabi, I want to thank you so much for coming on here and using our platform to spread the message and to encourage other people with respect to this disease. So thank you so much. And it's such an honor to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Anyo. First of all, thank you for having me. Thank you for having this platform where we can discuss important topics and educate our peers and yeah. family and friends and just giving access to people and information that, you know, on, on topics that are necessary to our well-being and just for us Africans as a whole. Yeah, thank you so much. It's truly a pleasure. So um, let's just start with a quick introduction. Can you please tell us about yourself? Okay, I'm just going to be very brief. Well, my name is Mabi, born and raised in Cameroon. I currently reside in the U.S. I am in North Carolina. I'm a mother. I have an eight-year-old, very inquisitive, and (laughs) I am also a breast cancer advocate. During my spare time, I love cooking, tennis. I occasionally will go to the breast cancer center where I've been having treatment, and I talk to women all the time. I advocate for them. I do not offer medical advice, but I do offer some resources where they can get further information if they need that. Yeah. So thank you so much for that introduction. So let's go straight into your story, right? Can you tell us about your story with breast cancer and how you came to discover that you even had it to begin with just from the very start? Okay. 
So this is a very sentimental story for me. Yeah. And um, sometimes I do get emotional just relieving some of the things that I went through. But I'm grateful that I'm here and I'm really hoping that my story will change some people's perspectives and get them to get the help that they need or have the information to go whatever direction they need to. Yeah. So in 2019, I was diagnosed. So in my introduction, I should also have said I'm a breast cancer survivor, but Mm -hmm. I wanted to leave that to the end because I know we'll be discussing about that on this platform anyway. Right. In 2019, I got diagnosed officially with breast cancer. But prior to that, I just wanted to mention that for a little Probably about a year, if I'm being honest, I had felt a nodule in my left breast. Mm. And that's the one where I have my breast cancer pain right now. Mm. Um, I felt a nodule in my left breast and didn't think much of it. I just kind of brushed it aside. In my family, we do have dense breast tissue. We tend to, you know, be bigger in size. And so sometimes we just think, oh, you know, it's just maybe those nodules we have in our breast from the Mm -hmm. time of that month. And it's nothing. You just kind of disregard it at first. You don't think, oh, it's anything important. It will go away or it's, it's nothing serious. So for about a year, actually, I had felt that nodule and just never thought much of it. But the last three months before I actually went in to see my doctor, I noticed as I was taking my shower that I would feel a lump on that same breast where I had felt the nodule. And I was like, this is very unusual. And so I kept feeling and it felt like it was getting bigger. It felt like I could actually see an outline this time, which wasn't there before. Mm. So um, I reached out to a very good friend of mine. I discussed some of my concerns. I was like, you know, um, I don't want to think the worst, but I'm just concerned. I have I have this lump that I've been feeling. I've just been so busy with work. I want to go see the doctor. What do you think? And she was like, you should definitely go. However, you know, the way our schedules are here, we're still busy with work. We get up, we come back home, the night's over. So I kept pushing it and postponing it. And finally, I went and saw my doctor. And the first thing actually that I wanted to do was get a mammogram. So I didn't even go to my doctor first. I just wanted to go and get a mammogram and see what was going on. And they informed me that I wasn't 40 years old yet. And so Mm -hmm. I couldn't have a mammogram and I did not qualify. So then I went to my physician Mm -hmm. and he ordered um, a mammogram for me and we had some diagnostic tests done. And I found out that um, I actually had breast cancer. The mammogram revealed tumors in my left. There were three of them. And then after that, we went ahead and we had a biopsy done as well. And the biopsy came back positive for cancer. And the type of cancer that I had is an invasive ductal carcinoma. And carcinoma is just another term for yeah. cancer, cancer tumors, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, ductal because the tumor started out in my Your mammary duct. ducts yeah. on my left. Right. And then it just kind of, you know, spread from there within the same breast. So after that, everything was I don't know if I should say downhill from there, but it started with getting a treatment team together, just getting treatment started as soon as possible. I had to meet 
and oncologists, we worked together, and this is outside of my primary care physician. We had a radiologist who had to do um, his own test and things on me, a nutritionist, physical therapy. We even had someone, a therapist, that would also have to come in because with breast cancer, as much as it affects only a certain area of your skin or body, it affects the entire person. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have, if you have surgeries and things like that, you're going to have restrictions with some parts of your body. You're going to mm-hmm. have even depression sometimes oh, yeah. to reach out and talk to people, you know? Yeah. So anyway, during the initial diagnosis, I found out that I had grade three, stage three invasive ductal carcinoma. And I know sometimes people kind of mix up the grade and the stage. The stage, yeah. I don't know if that's something you'd like me to talk briefly about. Definitely. What is the difference? I'm going to keep it really simple because I know we have a wide audience and I'm not really trying to bore with medical terms and things like that. But a grade and a stage, there are two factors that are used to determine how serious your tumors are. And it tends to determine what the treatment protocol will be. Mm -hmm. So a grade tells us, okay, normal cells look a certain way in your body. When we take the tumors that we found and compare it to your normal cells, do they resemble the normal cells? What do they look like? So the more they look like the normal cells, the Mm -hmm. lower the grade is. So grade one and two, they tend to look more like, you know, they look different from your healthy tissue, Mm -hmm. but you can tell that, okay, something's slightly off. Grade three and four are really bad. It is obvious there's a problem. The cell looks distorted. You can see contours and all of that. And clearly when you put that cell against a healthy one and compare the two, you can tell, okay, there's something definitely wrong with those. So Mm -hmm. grade three and four cells tend to be what we call high grade. They are definitely aggressive. They look different from the normal healthy cells. Right. Now with a stage and a lot of people tend to say, oh, there's stage two or stage three or stage four. Most people know about the stage. The stage tends to be how far in your body the cell has traveled or Mm -hmm. has metastasized, as we all like to say. The tumor cells can be malignant or benign. Not all of them go everywhere. But those that are malignant are the ones that we are concerned about Mm because they can go to other parts of your body. Stage one cells tend to be just where the tumor started. They haven't traveled anywhere. They haven't gone anywhere. And that's the same for stage two. They may have gone outside of the circle where they started, but they're still contained. They Mm -hmm. haven't gone anywhere else in the body. Stage three, they may be in the same organ but it's definitely mm-hmm. starting to spread. It might still be in the same tissue, but it's it's getting out of its little cocoon. Yeah. Stage four, as I like to say, has started to go to other parts of the body. The organs, so yeah. it can start in one area. It could be your breast. Since this is breast cancer, we're talking about, and it can go to your liver. It can go to other areas of your body. And that's dangerous because what happens is, our lymph nodes will carry all these dangerous cells. And then mm-hmm. when it starts to spread, it's just causing havoc everywhere. Yeah. But your treatment protocol is determined based on what your grade is and what your stage is. So I was a grade three, meaning that my cells looked very apparent, very obvious that something was wrong with them compared to the normal ones and a stage three as well, because it had traveled some within the same breast. Mm -hmm. The primary tumor was there and it was the biggest one in size, but I ended up having three more. 
in mm. that same verse, so it had traveled a little bit. So, right. But anyway, grades and stages aside, um, I started treatment as soon as my biopsy came back positive. We did find out that there are hormones that feed the tumors and cause them to grow. I was diagnosed as positive for all three. So estrogen, progesterone, and another one that we call her to you. I just go, yes, exactly. So that's actually a good thing because the way cancer treatment works is you have to target these hormones that are feeding the tumors and causing them to grow. Mm-hmm. And the medications that are out there are meant to attack these hormones. So if you're positive for all three, that means you have a plethora of treatment options for you. That's really good, right? So in my case, we went ahead and started. I started with chemo. I had chemotherapy, 17 rounds. The two drugs that I was on when I first started, there was adramycin. It's very uh, toxic, of course. Yeah. It tends to be the more common drug that causes all the hair loss that you see in people. They lose their hair, their eyebrows, like they have those prominent cancer features, you know. And then there's also cytoxan, which is the second drug that I was on. And the 17 rounds, being that chemo is very intensive, Mm -hmm. uh, it took a period of about maybe six months to get through all of that treatment. And then after that, I had a mastectomy. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, with breast cancer, being that the breasts communicate, it was my personal decision that instead of just taking out the left breast, they should take mm-hmm. out both. Yeah. Because sometimes, especially if it's aggressive, it could come back. But not only that, it could, you know, travel to, to the, the other one. bilateral breast. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I decided to just, you know, take them. I, I have no reservations. Take both of them. I just want to be sure that I have the best chance at being healthy. And, yeah. You know, so that happened. I did have a double mastectomy me, which just means they took both of them out. And I also had some lymph nodes taken out just, you know, as an extra precaution on the left where the tumors were. And so, yeah, that's, that's what happened at that point. And then after that, I was on daily medications that I was taking, and these are just to suppress any of the tumor cells that might be behind. Because again, as you know, even though you go for chemo and all that, it destroys the cells, but it doesn't, Mm -hmm. it may not necessarily get all of them. And so these are just other precautions that have to be taken. Yeah. So all of this happened. First time this happened, I rang the chemo bell. I was excited. I was Mm -hmm. like, yes, you know, treatment's over. And then I had to go for reconstruction, which... Some women decide that they want to and others don't. Mm -hmm. And in my case, this is something that was offered to me. I slept on it. I was okay with it. And Mm -hmm. I decided I would go for it. And I feel like reconstruction is another good thing to talk about. It's a whole other subject on its own. I'm going to be really brief about, you know, what was done with reconstruction. The first time around, when they take a mastectomy, when they do a mastectomy, they take away all your breast tissue. So literally, you're like a blank template. They have Mm -hmm. nothing to really work with besides the skin, which is there. Mm -hmm. And as you know, skin stretches. So what they do is to have room to kind of build a breast from scratch they put in you something called expanders. It stretches the skin. Mm -hmm. And every week they'll keep putting more fluid in there so that your skin stretches enough. 
And then after enough time has passed and they have enough skin to work with, mm-hmm. they go back in and they put in what are considered either it could be water or silicon, whichever. And they put that in there and a plastic surgeon will reconstruct the breast for you. So this is what I had done the first time. And the first time around, I was like, you know, it's been tough, but easy peasy, right? I, I'm good to go. Unfortunately, less than probably eight months later, mm-hmm. I started to realize, hey, I'm having a lot of pain again in that left area mm-hmm. where the tumors previously were. And, you know, um, I always tell people there's nothing, no better judge than your intuition. Yeah. I went back to my doctors. I was like, listen, I'm having pain. I feel like something's off. And they were like, no, it's 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 understandable to have pain you've stretched your skin you've had surgeries you've had so much going on it's your body's healing and the pain will eventually subside but I couldn't get it out of my head that I had been fine for so long and then this just felt like this acute pain like where is this coming from Mm -hmm. and I started to feel myself again and mind you when you have implants now after a mastectomy, all the scar tissue and all of that that's taken out, mm-hmm. you lose some level of sensation. The nerves in that area are destroyed. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. you don't feel things the same way as you did before. Yeah. But I knew for a fact I feel something here. I insisted. I went back to my doctor. And when I did, they realized, oh, my goodness. Let's just do an MRI and, you know, put you at rest. And when they did, they did see that. There were more tumors there. So even though I had had the mastectomy before, even though I had had chemo, all of this is to say, these are good treatment protocols, but you have to keep checking yourself. Keep checking. It's never 100%. And once you've had cancer, you are more likely, you're more at risk to have it. So don't just say, I'm done, I'm treated. It, it. It's the story's over. You have to be consistent about keeping up with your your daily checks and, and your monthly checks and checking your body. And at this point, I had just finished up reconstruction. I was doing well and I was so upset because I felt like, okay, yeah. we're back to the drawing board, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, you know what it is. Like, yeah. you feel like, oh, I'm done. I've run this marathon. I'm good to go. And things are looking up and it's like, no, we're starting over. So the second time around, we had to go back and put in another port. And I know I didn't discuss about the port. The mm-hmm. port is where most cancer patients get yeah, their chemo. infusions put in. It's mm-hmm. a little slit where we go in and we put a device that just basically all the, the treatments, all the chemotherapy drugs are infused through that port in your chest. Mm-hmm. So when my treatment was over the first time, it got taken out. And now that the tumors were there again, I had to get another one put in. And chemotherapy, the first round was very aggressive for me. And my body would not have been able to handle another round of the first drug that I had, which I talked about, adromycin mm-hmm. or doxorubicin, whichever. Yeah. I was on a drug called Paxol. Mm-hmm. It is not as aggressive as the first one. It is a little more forgiving. So there's not all the hair loss, but you're definitely 
you're definitely weak. You have a lot of weakness, a lot yeah. of flashes, which are some of the symptoms that you experience. You are tired all the time. Mm-hmm. You have nausea, vomiting, all of that. And those were some of the standard things that I went through. And majority of patients do tend to um, have these symptoms as well. Mm-hmm. And when I had this, I had to go through 10 rounds of that, 10 infusions. Mm-hmm. And then after that, the first time around, I didn't have radiation. So this time, my doctors were like, we're going to have radiation. Mm-hmm. The radiation was over a span of three months. I actually want to say four months. And during that time, I worked with a radio oncologist. And there's a machine. You go into a room, you're laid on the table, and there's a light, like a beam. Just think of it like radiation really yeah there's a beam that just goes across your chest on the affected area mm-hmm. and then when that happens it's like the rays are destroying the tumor the cells, cells yeah. in that area right so with that there's also a lot of like residual symptoms to deal with residual effects you know you have that area of your skin it's like a sunburn it's mm-hmm. really dark your hair your nails they're turning black your skin is dry things like that and I always tell a lot of my peers or friends who've gone through this hey you know there's aquaphor there's so many really good lotions there mm-hmm. that can help with a lot of that moisture back in your skin but anyway after that we decided to go ahead again and have another surgery yeah. so even though I had a double mastectomy they went back and really dug into my skin again and took out a lot more tissue than they had the first time mm. and so this was off the back end of a previous mastectomy and then this is a second one and then this time they took out even more lymph nodes because at some point there was a fear of metastasis they had seen some lymph nodes in my left that looked really abnormal and they were just concerned that hey we're not waiting for these to grow and become malignant. We don't want this to have to travel and we're not taking that chance. So I really appreciate the fact that they were very vigilant and very apt and direct about this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And so all those lymph nodes were taken out again and, you know, the breasts were back to the drawing board, back to just staying flat and all of that. And for a long time, I really wrestled with my emotions. Do I want to be reconstructed again? After all, the first time that I was, I would have missed the sensation because the silicone gel, the insert was on top, was tumors. But again, it's not about paranoia. I just Mm -hmm. make it a point like this is my situation and I'm going to keep checking myself. And so after this happened, I didn't want anything to do with having to have surgery again. I felt like emotionally I was going through a lot. I was definitely being vocal about what I want in my treatment. And I want people to know it's okay to do that. Yeah, It's your life. It's your body. You're the one enduring everything that you... Doctors will always empathize that at the end of the day, you are the one going through that process. Yeah, They can offer you assistance. They can be there for you, but you have to be your own advocate. You have to say, hey, I don't think my body can handle this particular treatment protocol anymore. Can we try this instead? Can we add this drug instead? Or am I, are you open to other drugs that are out on the market? You know, so 
me personally, I wasn't ready for reconstruction at the time. I was like, hey, my body needs to rest. I need to rest. And another thing that a lot of people don't talk about with reference to breast cancer is depression. Yeah. And that's a topic maybe later on in the interview we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. But for the time being, I just decided my body needs to rest. I need to be on my own. I need to just heal from the inside out. And yeah. so... I never had reconstruction till earlier this year. Yeah. And that went well, actually. I had, so at this point in my journey, I've had two, I've had cancer, mm-hmm. I've gone into remission, had the cancer come back. I've gone into remission again. Mm-hmm. I've had a reconstruction in between. So right. a reconstruction and deconstruction. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm Second about to Second reconstruction. Get reconstruction right but now we have no skin no tissue they've got it out everything right Mm -hmm. so what do we do my doctor informs me about a procedure it's called a deep flap d-i-e-p a deep flap and all it is is a surgery that helps a surgeon construct a breast using the woman's own skin and tissue so i had no skin Skin no tissue there yes Mm -hmm. and then the radiation had killed all of the the skin, the viable tissue that was there, the viable skin that was there. So they had to go to another part in my body. And in my case, it was my abdomen. And I call it harvesting, but, you know, get some of the skin and tissue there and then superimpose it on my chest to try to reconstruct another breast, which is what has happened. The surgery went well, and I'm really grateful to like my treatment team and my doctors and all of them, you know, for playing their part and What I really want women to know is cancer is real. And I really want people to check themselves daily because I would never want anyone to have to go through what I have gone through for about the last three years. So I not only is it real, but it can come back. Yeah. Because that was my story. I was like, I'm done. I'm strong. I'm done. This is this is behind me. And, and it really wasn't. And even as I'm talking to you now, I feel like I'm knock on wood. You know, we want yes. things to stay positive, but I'm still always making sure that I'm trying to be on top of stuff because it is a, a fatal disease and it can become fatal. But if you do your part and try to stay on top of it, it's something that you can live a long and happy and healthy life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, my goodness. What a story. So let's take it a little bit back. Like, let's rewind a little bit because there there were so many things that were just popping up in my head when you were speaking. So hopefully I remember all of them. But I just want us to break down the story. That was such a very good summary or synopsis of what you have gone through you know so let's start from you know when Mm -hmm. you you felt the nodules Mm -hmm. I know you said nodules and you also said tumor right so um when you felt the nodules right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. were they different from the tumor like when it became a tumor when I felt the, when I felt the nodule, they were it felt it, it could move at the time it was movable. So that's another thing that you're bringing up that is so important. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's not just feeling a nodule because women we have breast stocks and mammary glands, all those yes. things in there. So you're gonna feel stuff, yes, but it's the it's what you're feeling. Is it hard? Does it move? So the first time when I felt it, it it moved but at this point it was 
just it was smaller and another thing is as women towards that time of the month as well we yeah. have all yeah. these breast changes mm-hmm. so during that period I never even thought much of it I was just mm-hmm. like oh you know we're big boss fit this this is normal so yeah it it felt like oh there's something there but it's not anything unusual yeah when it had grown it, it felt nothing like what I had felt before now I knew okay this is a tumor like you can feel it it's a big you never wanted to really even get to that stage mm-hmm. but it was obvious that okay this isn't a breast change because it's a time of the month or this is unusual and that's why I always tell people if you feel something that you didn't feel before Mm -hmm. yes even if it's just checking and putting your mind at ease do Mm -hmm. that but don't ignore it don't disregard it so okay thank you Mm -hmm. so back to the nodule versus the tumor when you said you said that the nodule you felt it for like a whole year right so was it coming and going or was it like consistent was it coming towards the time of the month and then disappearing or was it like just chilling okay so this is the thing it wasn't chilling per se i just couldn't feel it at times but this and this is what i want to explain this comes down again to breast self exams right Mm -hmm. women we have different cup sizes yeah i used to be i'm bigger than most i was bigger than most Mm -hmm. So the primary tumor actually started dead center, Mm. dead center in the, in my breast. Mm -hmm. And what I actually felt was not even the initial tumor. What Mm. I felt was one closer to the edge that has started protruding. Yes. That was what I felt. So the primary tumor, I would never even have known was there if it hadn't moved up to the corner to the edges where I could actually see like a protrusion and feel it. So that's why it's important to do your exams and to hold your body in a certain position. So you're feeling the entire breast. But no, at that point, it never even hit me like, okay, it's because I was busty. I never even thought, oh, I need to be digging. None of that crossed my mind. Only what was at the edge that I felt. And then eventually I was like, okay, Sometimes I feel this, sometimes I don't. But one thing I'm sure of is feels like when I do feel it, it's growing or it's changing in size. Right. So I'm not going to disregard this anymore. I'm going to follow up with the doctor and see what they say. Yeah. Right. So I'm not trying to state facts because I don't, I haven't done any research on that. But based on what you're saying, based on this experience that you've had, it could be safe to say that women who have a bigger breast cup sizes, it could potentially be more difficult for them to discover a nodule than women who are more like smaller sizes because there's a lot of tissue in the, you know, in the bigger breast cup sizes. So maybe they could take more time or put more emphasis in really getting to do that exam to find something. Exactly. Plus, Anya, I appreciate your platform and the information that we're giving out to people. Again, it's just, this is 
a disclaimer that we're not offering medical advice. Right, right, right. Don't take our word for it. But yes, women who do have dense breast tissue need to be more emphatic about how they're performing their breast exams. And this is for the reason that you've explained. You know, you have to really go into every corner. You have more to work with. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means you need to take more time Mm -hmm. and be careful that you're not sensing or feeling anything new which, you know, could have been a tumor and that you've missed that. And that's also the other reason, because when you check your body all the time, you know what you're accustomed to, right? So sometimes you miss stuff as well. But someone who's neutral, like a doctor, you know, he's touching. He doesn't touch you all the time. He's not familiar with you. He's not routine with you. So when he touches you, he can say, hey, hmm, what is this? And, And fill it out and say, okay, this definitely we need to look further at or this is okay. So that's why I tell women, like, do your breast exams. But also when you do go in to see your primary care, this it's just not even five minutes. They'll do it for you and it costs nothing and just have it checked out, you know. But yes, as you said, it is safe to say that if you have dense breast tissue, it might. It's not that if you have it, it won't be found. You can Mm -hmm. find it. You can feel it. But you need to be more emphatic about, you know, how you're performing yours because it's just having more to work with. The tumor has like a playground. So, yeah, I do encourage women who are on the bossy side to definitely do that because that was my situation. Yeah, I never even knew. I never felt anything. I never felt the need to what I felt was the third tumor that had it had traveled. And that's how I knew. So you're right on that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you so much for explaining that. Now, going to check yourself in the hospital, that was something that, you know, I mean, even though it took you a year and it could easily take anybody a year, time passes by so fast. Our life is very, very busy, right? Mm -hmm. But I just want to make a statement on the health system in this country. And when I say this country, it's America. Now, different Mm -hmm. countries have different health systems, but the way the health system in this country is structured can sometimes be very, very discouraging because you cannot do anything, you know, you're not supposed to do anything because anybody would just abuse resources, right? But one thing that has been very consistent with Almost all the breast cancer survivors who are like our age range or at least our generation Mm -hmm. is that when they prior to even the diagnosis, there was Mm -hmm. some kind of there was a level of negligence from the healthcare professionals and the health system in general. And that Mm -hmm. may or may not have been intentional. It's Mm -hmm. just based off of, you know, studies and statistics and, Mm -hmm. and maybe even the protocol in the various health systems, because I'm very sure when you went to do a mammogram, it was denied for lack of medical necessity. Right. And, and you had to go through your doctor and someone who probably had finally made that time to to go do it and then they would turn down we'll probably be discouraged and be like okay we could wait another year and i'll figure it out you know what i mean because Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. people don't have time Mm -hmm. now that doesn't mean that that should be a fair reason to not pursue you know medical advice especially if you have that intuition that something is Mm -hmm. wrong you know and at the same time that doesn't necessarily mean that anybody who wants to just do a mammogram at their leisure can do it because you know i know that they're trying to save you know, the health resources, you know, financial Mm -hmm. resources as well. So now this just goes to emphasize that be your health advocate, be your own advocate, because even some doctors could be like, oh, you're not 
40 yet so you don't have to worry about it or you know like i mean gwen gu who was on the episode a couple Mm -hmm. of episodes back her Mm -hmm. own was like she did the test she felt really really weird she went pushed 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 did the mammogram and her results were just kept somewhere like she waited over a month before you know she had to call Mm -hmm. back like hey what's going on And then they looked into it and that's when they were freaking out like, oh my God, I'm sorry. This is your result. Mm -hmm. It's really bad, whatever. But just because she had no predisposition, you know, Mm -hmm. she didn't have any family history of breast cancer or cancer as a whole. She didn't Mm -hmm. have any health defect, any Mm -hmm. nothing. She was perfectly healthy, no medical history. So it didn't even ring a bell that, hey, this person could be, you know, be diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And that could be any of us, right? That could it be could. any of us, regardless mm-hmm. of the age, regardless of the medical history. It could happen to anybody. So if you don't feel good, be your advocate and push. Yes. Keep pushing and fighting, especially against the health system, regardless of where you are in the world. Right. One thing I really appreciate you saying is be your advocate. And something about Gwen's story in a previous episode that you've has resonated with me is being persistent, follow yeah. up. Don't yeah. just say, oh, I got the test done. Because see, this is what actually happened to me. When I first went to get a mammogram, it was, oh, you don't meet the age qualification. You have to be 40. And I wasn't 40 yet, right? And how old were you? When I first got diagnosed, I was actually 35. Yeah. And again, there's this myth, this misconception. Mm-hmm. Um, it's people in their 50s and 60s yep. that it's old people that get cancer and cancer can affect anyone at any age, True. any sex. I mean, there's two men, women, but men have breast cancer as oh, well. Yeah. There's, yeah. So many, there's like a plethora of beliefs that people have out there about their diagnosis or, or and everyone with the ascent of Google, everyone is a pro about some kind of disease, you know, they're very empathic about what they believe, what is right. Have you done this? Have you done that? But not to go on a tangent from what you were saying, you have to be your own advocate. When I finally was able to take some time off to go, because again, like you understand, our society here in the U.S. is set up where you're on the clock. If you have to take time off, then you have to take an actual day and probably that day is the only day that you have to get everything that you need to get done. You take that day, you go to see a doctor and then they tell you, no, you can't have this test because you're not of age. That that's very offensive. I mean, I understand where they're coming from, which is what you said, right? You don't want to waste resources, but there's a valid reason there. So you, you have to be persistent. And in my case, I have to say, listen, I have a family history here. I'm not going to say that, I have breast cancer, but I do know I have my maternal aunt who had it. I do know that my grandmother, my maternal grandmother had it. And now I'm feeling something that is not usual with me in my breast. I know that I am not 40, but I do need you to check this. This is important because God forbid, and I've lost them to breast cancer as well. So God forbid something's going on. I would just like to know now and nip it in the bud. And if there's nothing going on, no harm done. I'll pay for the test, you Mm -hmm. know? And initially I was sent to another county actually, because where I went, they still would not do it. So I had to drive to another city, another county altogether to go and see if I could get this test done over there. And when I went there, because I was going to pay out of pocket, they decided that they would do it. 
this is the thing. They never told me there and then that my test was positive, that I had tumors. They gave me a number and told me to call that number and see a doctor. When I called that number, actually, it was the test center that I had previously gone to Mm -hmm. to get the mammogram done. And so what happened is this particular facility where I got my first mammogram completed, they saw that I did have tumors. They did not disclose that information to me. What they did is contact the other department that I had gone to and then tell them, hey, they need to follow up with me. So now I'm driving back to where I had started to begin with. So, you know, sometimes it can be frustrating, you know, being, you feel like, you're being turned around and you're like, but what's going on here? And then sometimes as well, it's not even just the fact that you're trying to do this. It's the fact that you're also having to deal with resistance. Like, okay, yeah. I don't know when I'm going to be off again. I wasn't able to get this done. Oh, now you have to go back where you came from. It can be frustrating, but at the end of all of this health is wealth. It's, you know, it's your place to keep, to be persistent until you have some kind of resolution. Yeah. And I think that at this point, this is when I really said, okay, they sent me back to these people, but rain or shine, I need to find out like, okay, if it's just a fibroid, whatever it is, let me at least know. And it wasn't until I came back to my own county where they had sent my information that I found out, okay, this is what's going on. That's when the process actually started now, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, come in, want to do another one. We want to do a biopsy. We want to do, that's how it started. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I also wanted to add to that because at least here in, I would say America, for example, we mm-hmm. have that, we have that that freedom to an extent to be our own advocate. You know what I mean? I know in most African countries from growing up back home, not many people have that freedom just because there's some level of aggression that comes from the healthcare professionals. Not all of them. I repeat, not all of them, some of them, because sometimes when you are your own advocate, it could be misunderstood by the health professional as you're trying to tell them how to do their job, right? So what I would advise my brothers and sisters back home in Africa, regardless of the country, is that keep changing doctors until you find someone who can listen to you. Right. If you feel mm-hmm. like your doctor is not listening to you, go to another one, go to another mm-hmm. one, go just keep changing out of 10 doctors. There should be at least one person who will mm-hmm. listen to you, you know, mm-hmm. and do and or at least give you the advice that you feel like you need, you know, mm-hmm. so that's I, I, that's just the best thing I can say at this point. Now, let's go back to when they discovered, you know, that you had breast cancer and okay. they you know, gave you that information. They had to tell you like, Hey, this is what it is. How's that conversation? I know we're probably going to get a little bit, you know, sensitive right now, you know, (laughs) where we're touching those hot spots, but how was that conversation? And like, how was your, like, how did that change your outlook on life? Oh man, that's, that's, that's a big question. Okay. Sorry, um, take your time. It was a uh, no, it's okay. So on Monday, after I saw my doctors, this was when they had sent me back to where I started after I had chased my tail and come back to where I had started to begin with. I had a biopsy and they had told me what's the best way to get in touch with you or we'll we'll have you come in mm-hmm. with your results. I said, Okay. So that was Monday. I went to church 
Wednesday morning. I couldn't, first of all, all of Monday after that biopsy, I couldn't do anything. I was in pain. You know, biopsies, they go into your tissue, they get to the tumor, they pull mm-hmm. it out. It's anyone who's been through the process knows what it is. I won't, you know, delve on that, but it was a lot. It was, I was just in pain for that day and the day after, which was Tuesday and on Wednesday. I couldn't sleep because, you know, at this point, the biopsy confirms all their suspicions for sure. Yeah. They're just waiting now to tell you in black and white, this is what it is. And this is this is where we're going. So it was like, OK, I'm waiting. This is drum roll. Right. I'm waiting. On Wednesday morning. I remember that day so well. I get up. I'm like, you know what? I have to go to church. I have to go to church. I'm just going to go. I don't even know what I'm going to say. I don't know what prayer to pray. I'm just going to go there and just find some peace and just, you know, just lay at the cross, as they say, just lay, like, honest to God, I find it so hard going during the week because those masses are so early. Mm-hmm. That day I was at the pew, I was in church at the front. I was just like, whatever is ahead of me, please give me strength, you know? Yeah. And as I walked out, I had just barely gotten to my car. I got a call and it was the nurse. And she said, hey, can I talk to Rose? I said, yeah, speaking. I said, hey, Rose, I have something to tell you. Is there somewhere you can sit? Like, oh, my God. Oh, that's a dead giveaway say, right I'm there. Like, yeah, I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm here. I'm fine. I'm in my car. So I get in my car. And then she says, yeah, you know, I hate to tell you it is cancer, you know. And it was tough. It was tough. I remember having to sit in my car for almost an hour. So everyone had left the church. Everyone had driven. My car was just there in the lot. I was just sitting there. And then I was startled because a cop knocked on my door, on my window. And he was like, are you okay, ma'am? Because he had noticed that my car was just sitting there. I was just sitting there and I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And I just told him that I had gotten a diagnosis and I was just trying to process everything. And then calm down. I just, you know, turned the engine on, drove home and told my brother, my cousin about it. So it was very emotional for me, but it didn't really hit me then and there. What hit me was, why didn't they have me come into the office? Like, why did they call my phone? I feel like this was information. It's like calling someone and just telling them, hey, your your family died. Yeah, I was sorry to tell your family died. Like there's a, a bit of a process how yeah. you break the information. But either way, I was happy that they told me the next step for me was figuring out, okay, this is what it is now. You wanted answers, you've gotten answers. What do you do? So that first day I was just kind of taking it in, just to be honest, I think I heard it, but I didn't think it really sunk in till the next day. Because that first day I came home had breakfast, made coffee as if it was just another day, right? Yeah. I just come back from church, it was just another day. And I was just an autopilot. And my cousin, I mentioned it to him. And he was like, are you okay? I was like, yeah. He gave me a hug. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm okay. And just went about stuff. But then it really sank in that night. Yeah. And yeah. I, I really just broke down. I started thinking about all the different outcomes that this could have and all the 
you know, I'm a positive person. I really do believe that. Then your mind always wants to think of the worst case scenario and how you can overcome that. I started thinking about my family, my my parents, my son, my brothers, my I haven't done everything I need to do in this life. You know, I haven't, I'm not where I want to be yet. I have so much still left to do. And what does this diagnosis mean for me? How is my life going to change as I know it, you know? And one of the things that also kept playing in my mind was my aunt, my mom's sister, because mm-hmm. she had passed from breast cancer. And I was one of the people who was in our corner when she was going through her ordeal. And I just kind of watched her degenerate, like, hmm. slowly. You had first-hand experience yes, with that. first-hand yeah. experience. And I just kept wondering, you know, like, don't jump to conclusions. That doesn't have to be your story. But at the same time, I just remember how much pain she was in. Like, okay, is this what's in front of me? Is this what... I had no expectations. I didn't know what to think. And therefore, my mind was just... There was a spectrum of emotions because no one's really telling you, hey, this is where you're going to be. And even when you go online and you look at videos of people telling their story, oh, this is what you can expect. This is those are just conclusions that they've drawn from their story. story, Every breast cancer patient story is different. Every experience is different. Mm -hmm. So two people may have been through the same thing. But their outcomes are completely different. Mm -hmm. But what do they have in common? They have breast cancer. But it doesn't mean, oh, they went through the same thing. You know, like there's just a plethora of emotions that are involved. So um, that night was just about me taking some time to let it sink in. And then when I told my family the next day and they were all so emotional about it, that's when it really hit me. Yeah. You know, that first day, I think there was some level of shock that just kind of made me not really take it to heart, really say, hey, this is this is what it really is. It was the next day, in fact, when it actually hit me that, okay, you have to pull up your pull up your boots and yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, and do what you have to do. So Yeah, you know, listening to you, you know, just reminds me of how we take our health for granted. You know, good health, actually, for granted. You know, for some reason, this week has just been so overwhelming to me. Like, it's just one bad news after the other. Like, I mean, even last night, like I, I don't know what I'm even saying. Like, I'm just digressing. Even that last night, you know, I, I was talking to a family member of mine and then she just told me like a bad unexpected news. You know, I don't want to say about who is the family member Mm -hmm. who's sick and stuff. So, you know, it just got me thinking like our health is truly our wealth. It is. And we take it so much for granted. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. life can literally switch mm-hmm. in a millisecond mm-hmm. without us even expecting it mm-hmm. you know this is just a lesson to me and i hope it's a lesson to everyone else mm-hmm. to not take good health for granted mm-hmm. please and, and you, you know it's so in- interesting that you say that because 
I was in the best shape of my life when I got diagnosed. Yeah. When I say the best shape, I mean, I was really physically fit. I had been working out. I was always on top of my diet. And I think that's also one of the reasons I just never believed yeah. that that's what it would be. It's like, no, I'm taking care of myself. I'm taking my multivitamins. I'm working out. I am eating right. I am physically fit. So I mean, And you're in I the prime of your headache. life. You're in yes, the prime of your life. I haven't had a headache. I haven't as much as I'm drinking all the water I need. So nobody's thinking cancer. I'm just thinking, oh, this feels unusual. I'm going to go in. Uh, I got up this morning. I'm fine. I'll go in tomorrow. And tomorrow became the next day and the day after that. So yes, you can take good health for granted. And I think because we get up in the morning and we're in autopilot and we get through the day, we just yeah. think, fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And a lot of times we don't also take time to check ourselves till something happens. Yeah. And why wait for something to happen? I think preventative care. It's way better and cheaper. Yes, yes. And not just cheaper, like stop the problem before it even starts. Starts, One thing I always tell people who talk to me, they're like, how did you not know though? I'm like, listen, it could have happened to To anybody. Yeah. It's so easy. I was like, I'm a medical professional, as in I've studied so much about tumors. I've studied so much. I, like I've worked with people who've had these conditions. There is no way I should have even, like I knew better. Yeah. But I never even followed up. Life happens sometimes. It's just easy to put things on a back burner. Oh, you know, I'll go next week after this, this, that, or I'll take that day of, oh, well, I need those extra hours. I'm not going to take off. So it happens to the best yeah, of us. But it, does. it doesn't have to, you know. So yeah. don't also assume I'm healthy, I'm good, I'm young and, and a lot of those myths like it's a disservice to you. So I'm really happy you mentioned that, Anya. I mean, yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. We do take good health for granted. So thank you. Mm-hmm. And you know, this message is specifically to our brothers and sisters, especially in Africa. Because I know mm-hmm. here, for example, and I always use the Western region, I use America as reference because that's where we both are and we're more familiar with that system. Mm-hmm. Um, I know here, if you have a job and you have health insurance through the job, most of the times they kind of uh, give incentives for those who do wellness checks and stuff like that. They encourage you to do your wellness checks. Some insurance Mm -hmm. companies will even charge you if you don't do like your annual wellness check because they want to make sure that you are healthy and not end up costing them a lot more money if you don't check yourself, you know. So they try to put a lot more energy and focus on preventative medicine instead of you know like waiting till it's too late but that's typically not the case in Africa and for example in Cameroon as a whole because number one health insurance is not something that a lot of people utilize and Mm -hmm. it's not something that a lot of people are familiar with there is health insurance but not many people are even able to afford that or they they don't utilize that so Mm -hmm. it's left to them to make that move proactively to go do a wellness check or to follow up on their health to make sure that they're doing great. I mean, a lot of people don't even know what kind of wellness checks to do. They don't even know what age to do what kind of check. 
you know, mm-hmm. and that's something that we need to really promote in our community. Now, the message I have is that please check yourselves, you know, go to the doctor, even if you have to start with high blood pressure, diabetes, you know, mm-hmm. heart, you know, just check yourself. Women, mm-hmm. please do your pap smears. I mean, I have, I know people in Cameroon who are my age mate and they've never had a pap smear and it's just mm-hmm. mind blowing. Mm-hmm. We're not as young as we used to be. And even though we're not as old, we can still have these diseases. We are still, this disease, like these diseases can happen to anybody. We, there's no longer an old people's disease. Like it had, the world is changing so fast mm-hmm. and we're coming to realize that even at our age, People are having diseases that we used to look at them as the old people's diseases. So please check yourself. Just get a doctor's appointment. Go take your high blood pressure. You know, take your blood sugar levels, you know, check yourselves inside out. And if you feel mm-hmm. anything, please don't despise it. Even if you don't have enough money, just try to see how you can, you know, follow up or even look for money. Even if you have to borrow one more thousand francs, for example, mm-hmm. borrow that mm-hmm. and check yourself instead of you discovering that you were way sicker than you had expected when it's too late and then it ends up costing you even more than that 1000 you know because i know a lot of people cannot afford it but preventative medicine is way better than waiting till it's too late you know so that's my message to our community now let's just quickly talk about like your experience with the chemotherapy okay before that actually how did you prepare your mind and condition your mind to take all of that in and prepare yourself for chemotherapy because that's not something that is easy to take in and when I say that I'm talking about just the news and I mean I've never had chemo before and I believe back then you probably did not even know what to expect so (laughs) you know just stepping into that sea of uncertainty could have Mm -hmm. also been mind wrecking you know Mm -hmm. so how did you condition your mind how did you you know prepare for all of that Mm -hmm. so one thing you have to understand is after you tell your family or friends people who care about you when you're going through something the natural the natural reaction for them will be to panic or to feel bad you know you have to empathize that more like oh my god you know i'm so sorry i hope i hope this turns out okay and sometimes their emotions can also affect your own outlook or perspective on what you're dealing with so i feel like it's important to embrace what they're saying but don't take it to heart mm-hmm. like for instance i had family members who were like crying and all of that. Like I understand that you're being supportive of me. Right. But I also have to remember, like, listen, I'm not dead. I'm here. I'm fighting. And this is not the time to be emotional. Like you can be emotional, but this is a time to be able to have control of the situation Mm -hmm. because there's so many unknowns. And the only thing that you have power over right now is your yourself. So first of all, what I did personally to prepare myself, I know a lot of people are like, pray, it's really good advice. Right? It's really easy to say. say. But how does that help you prepare, right? I'm not saying anyone shouldn't pray again. I am a Christian. I believe in God. I'm not saying don't pray. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for me. No. What I'm saying is it's just an easy thing to say. Pray. 
that there's so much that's behind that statement. When I was told after I told my family and everyone was like, oh my God, what do we do now? What's going to happen? Where this, that? I had to kind of just pull back a little bit. Like I contacted my doctor. I was like, okay, I would like to come in and see you. This is before I meet my treatment team, before I meet everyone who's going to be. Because when you go for your first chemotherapy session, Mm -hmm. you get introduced to every single person who will work with you. And they're usually somewhere between five to 10, possibly, you know, the oncologist will be there. A physical therapist will be there. The radiologist will be there. A nutritionist will be there. There are all these components that affect how your treatment is going to go. Mm-hmm. So you'll be introduced to all of them. But I wanted to talk with my oncologist before I met everyone else because he would be the main person that would be working with me. Yeah. And I told him, I'm here. I want you to give it to me straight. What is it that I can expect from this? What What has your professional experience shown you what would you tell me if I was your child about how to prepare for what I'm about to undergo and he was very open with me he was like a lot of women come they're very emotional about stuff what's going to happen is some of these treatments you experience a lot of symptoms embrace them they're not going to be nice symptoms but at least if you know that they're coming yeah it helps you be ready kind of make yourself ready for it one thing we really did talk about was hair loss he said, by the end of your first treatment, your first week, you will lose all your hair. Oh, my God. I didn't believe him. <laughs> hmm. I did not believe him. I was like, the first treatment, please. I'm OK. I was like, it's my, you know, I had braids in and I was like, you know, where we come from, our hair thick and strong yeah. and healthy. I mean, maybe it'll thin out. What was he talking about for after the first week? And so when I went in, he's like, what are the plans for your hair? And I kept thinking, I'll figure it out. He said, you know, I think you should start looking at wigs or if maybe wigs don't work for you. Maybe you start looking at caps that you can put on because you're going to feel very cold. You're going to lose your hair. And I was like, okay. So one thing that I did, I did look at, you know, the good thing about one way that I prepared myself is kind of designating in my family who I wanted to do what, you know. Mm-hmm. So my cousin, she reached out to me. She's like, hey, I'm going to mail you some wigs, okay? Is that mm-hmm. okay? These might work for you. I had people who got me, like, chemo packages. So one thing I knew for sure, my skin was going to dry up. I was yeah. going to have blistering and all of that. I had lotions that were delivered to me. I had some family members who were like, we know you're not going to be able to cook for a little bit. Yeah. We're going to make some food and come and leave it over. And then one thing also that the doctor was really good about that helped me prepare was he said, who are you going to be with? Who's going to be with you 24 seven while you're Hmm. going through this? And that was my cousin, Christian. And he said, you know, when you come, you should come with Christian because I have stuff that I'll tell you, but since he's with you 24 seven, there's stuff he needs to know too, things he needs to look out for. And one thing he told my cousin was, and I remember so well because I laughed about it. But then it really turned out to be the truth. And he said, she will drive you nuts. Hmm. Forgive her. It is not because of her. It is because of what she is going through with the treatment. And, you know, we looked at each other and laughed. We were like, drive you nuts. What are you talking about? But the doctor was right because my hair started falling out. And I was like, 
it didn't just fall like, oh, it was just falling out in clumps. So what I did also to help me kind of manage my the, my psyche, I went to a barber and I just had it kind of cut low. It did fall off to where I was bald eventually, mm-hmm. but I felt like mentally yeah. that helped me a little more. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, it's falling off, but at least I'm not all over the place. Mm-hmm. It helped me contain that part of it. And then like throwing up and things like that before I would go for a chemotherapy session, everything for that day would be laid out. So I had a blanket. It was usually cold in there. I had my blanket ready. I had my tea in the corner. I know after chemo, I'm going to be throwing up. There's a bucket ready. Like just little things. When they, the doctors set expectations for you mm-hmm. about symptoms you experience and things that you're going to go through, you're anticipating that already. So you're yeah. like better able to accommodate the changes. So that's what my scenario was. But the part about praying, I didn't even really start praying, but I'm being honest, probably to like two months in, if I'm really being honest, mm-hmm. as in, in the comfort of my room alone, like, okay, I'm praying. Because the first two months for me were the hardest. I was actually mad. I was mad at God. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, why? Why? Yeah. Of all the people on this earth that you could have picked, why? Why did you pick me? I had to get to this point where I was like, well, why would it be better for the next person? Why would it be the next person and not you? I don't ever want this to happen to Mm. anyone else. But there's a sense of why am I the one going through this? You know, and do I have what it takes to get through this? And you have all these questions as well, like going to be the outcome. Will I die? Why not die? And I had to be intentionally optimistic. Like I would get up each morning and say, I am here. I'm going to be here and I'm going to be positive about this. And it's so strange how being intentional about being positive can actually have positive outcomes, even if they weren't going to be that way. Like it completely changed the outlook for the rest of my treatment. Um, I would just go in there. You couldn't really tell that I was in treatment unless like you would see me go into the back room where we have the infusions. I remember so many times some of the other women in the room would look at me and be like, what are you smiling at? Or why are you smiling? Or what's funny about this? And I'm like, no, nothing's funny. I'm not laughing with you. I'm just happy that I have another chance to have treatment and to, um, just be alive. It really changes your perspective as in you want to make every second of your life after that accountable. You want mm-hmm. to, it, I feel like if everyone knew that there was a possibility that they wouldn't be alive the next day, what is it that they would want to do today? That was what I was always asking myself. Like, what is it that I have done today? If I don't get up tomorrow, what would I have done today that would make me say, Hey, Okay, I'm all right with the fact that I'm no longer here. So, yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah, I feel like that's what helped me, me personally. And two months in, that's when I kind of got to that whole, you know, those whole like five stages of grief thing. I was grieving. Yeah. In a sense, I was grieving. Yeah. I wasn't like crying and bawling and all of that, but I was grieving too because I was going through a loss. I was, there's a lot that, uh, yeah, turmoil. And I needed to blame somebody. And obviously the first person that I could blame was God. And it wasn't until I actually came to that point of acceptance where I was like, okay, God, you know what? This is our situation. This is my cross. I'm going to carry it. And I just, you know, I pray that, you know, you help me get through this. And I get through it okay. So 
talking to your doctor, knowing what to expect, and there will be a lot of changes, will help you prepare. Delegation, delegate yes, to your support, family. You're support. not just alone. Support, support, support. And everybody has their own way that they can support you. If you have someone you know that will cook up a storm for you, have them cook and bring the food over and mm-hmm. you can freeze it because there'll be those days where you won't be able to get out of bed and you still need to eat. Have someone that you can confide in. You need to mm. vent if you need that person for me was Christian and he saw the changes. He knew, oh, this is going to happen. I have to, this is what we do when this happens. Mm. Make sure expectations are set. Make sure people know what it is that you need from them and then they can be there for you. Right. you know, that, that's what I did. There wasn't really like a manual, like, oh, this is, do this, do this, do this. Like, again, everyone's story is different. Yeah. But I'm just hoping that some of the things that I went through and how I got through them might help someone else. Sure, sure. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's very powerful. And what you said that stuck to me was being intentionally positive, mm-hmm. you know, I definitely have to put more emphasis on that, especially with respect to my life, because so many good things could happen once we are intentionally positive. I mean, life will literally be something else if we just always remember to be intentionally positive. So thank you for sharing that piece of inspiration. Now, how has your quality of life changed, especially considering, you know, being in remission and then having it again and then being in remission and with the whole ordeal of the reconstruction. And I mean, all those surgeries, how many surgeries have you had so far, by the way? I've had six. I've had six in total. That's a lot. Yeah. So woman to woman, and this message also is for other women who are listening in and if I can be a little bit biased, this is living African after all. Yeah. Our African women, Mm -hmm. we take a lot of pride in our bodies and our hair and our hips. Yeah. We have rich skin, beautiful skin, and we embrace, we love who we are. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that will change in this process When you lose your hair, your hair is your crown. I know that we're not children where it's like, it's just hair, it will grow back. Mm -hmm. But during that transition phase, as you're losing it, you will feel very, your confidence might be shaking. You might, yes, you might. It's not that you're not beautiful or you don't feel beautiful. You are, you know who you are, but your body will change so much. You will have surgeries where you will have scars that you will have to deal with. You will not know how to deal with those scars. Losing, people go to war and they lose arms, limbs, and they're in wheelchairs, they're depressed. Mm -hmm. You've lost your breasts through mastectomy. That in itself is a loss. You are also grieving a loss, the same way that somebody loses another part of their body. Your breasts Mm -hmm. are part of your body. Mm -hmm. You have radiation, your body will change, it will darken, it will burn, it will blister. One thing I definitely want women to do is to be gracious to themselves and their mm. bodies. I think I'm more forgiving to myself. I feel like a lot of things that I was so concerned about before, I am embracing a lot more now. Oftentimes I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to lose some weight around my waist, you know? Mm. And now I have 
a major scar from the last surgery I had where I needed to be reconstructed. So that's another, that's an additional scar on top of everything else that I've already had on top, right? But what are you going to do? Are you going to say, I'll never show that part of my body because there's a scar or I feel this way because there's a scar there. What I want women to be able to do is just to get to that point of acceptance. Like this is just the new you. This is Mabi. Mabi hasn't changed. Mabi, this is just Mabi post-cancer. You know, this is a a 2.0, as they say. The original is still there, but this is just Mabi after the process. And that's how I want every woman to look at that. My outlook on life... I feel like I've never been more optimistic because some things I took for granted before, I know that now they could easily have been taken away. I've been in treatment rooms where a lady who used to always sit beside me, I come in and I'm like, oh, where's Cheryl? Or where is Sharon? Or where is... She's not here. She didn't make it. That could have been me, right? Oh my God. So... I always try to see like, okay, it could have been worse, but this is your situation and you're here. So, you know, stay positive. I have frustrations with some of the, you know, again, the surgeries I've had, I've lost sensation, not just in my chest, but in my left arm as well. Mm. Sometimes I have pain and tingling there. Mm -hmm. Other times because of all the surgeries and mastectomies and stuff like that, some of those nerve endings don't work Mm -hmm. as well. So Mm -hmm. If water is on my skin, I probably won't feel it. I won't know. I, I can see that it's water, but mm-hmm. um, temperature-wise, yeah. I really know. If somebody taps me here, I may not tell. But if tap me here, I might. You know, this arm is restricted as well because when they took a lot of the lymph nodes out, I developed something called lymphedema. Yeah, which basically your lymph nodes drain lymph out of your body. So when you take them out, you're not getting that drainage that you usually get. Yeah, so, so you're then swelling. the arm swells up, yes, and you have to wear a sleeve. And I had a sleeve on. And one thing that I would notice a lot is if I was somewhere, someone would say, why are you wearing that glove across your arm? Or, you know, it looks like a glove, but it comes all the way up. All the way up. And, you know, most people don't, but there there are people who are curious and will ask. And I, I don't really take offense or anything. I just say it's just to help my arm so it doesn't swell up. So many of the things that women have to deal with who have gone through treatment are not even as a result of the treatment. Like they're dealing with secondary issues from the treatment of the primary issue, which was the cancer, right? So the lymphedema, for instance, uh, the weight gain Mm. from the medications, you know, you're on a lot of anti-estrogens, anti-progesterone, steroids. Your immune system is down. And personally, this happened at a phase where we had COVID. Hmm. Um, I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't get anywhere. I was very immunocompromised. So I had no immunity because of chemo. And then now here I am. I just want to sit out in the sun and get some air. And I can't do it because there are people around. So you're always indoors. Hmm. But not only that, even in your healing phase, you have surgical scars, you have incisions and stuff. You can't, you can't be out there. You have to be home. So you really have to find a way as well to say, what am I going to do with this time? Yeah. You're going to have drains all over you. Okay. You're not going to be up and around going to work with all these things on you. You're still healing. So you have to come to a point where you're like, I'm not going to have 
the company that I usually have, how can I be okay? You're not alone per se. Yeah. You just can't be out. You yeah. Know? So I think it's important for people to kind of come back and think, okay, what do I want to get out of this? How am I going to use this time for myself? Who can I talk to so that I'm not losing my mind? You know, and that's why they have a therapist. They offer that as a, because they know, they know people need someone to talk to. And not only that, but I know a lot of people will say, reach out to your family, your friends, I'm here for you. If you ever need to talk, those are things that are so nice to say, right? But how often is it that you call a friend and they're like, oh, I'm dealing with this and dealing with that. And then you start to get tired of listening to that same story or not really knowing what advice to offer them. Yeah, professionals are there because that's what they do. They know what to say and they can give you an honest perspective because they don't have any biases, right? Mm -hmm. So my outlook on life overall, I don't take things for granted. And things before that I used to look at as like my goals, I think sometimes I'm an overachiever and I'm very hard on myself when I feel like I'm not where I want to be. Mm-hmm. But I'm definitely learning to take and indulge in the little wins, you know, to be grateful that I have the resources and the treatments. And, you know, it's unfortunate. I hate to say this, but, you know, a lot of times when people have this type of diagnosis back in Africa, it's almost like a death sentence. People are like, oh, my God, they're not going to make it. And why? Because we don't have those resources back home. And even if we do, some people cannot afford them. Or like you said, some physicians have a lot of aggression. Like, I'm the doctor. Are you telling me how to, to treat do. you? Yeah. Like, yeah. Or you also have those who are like, well, you can't pay for treatment. There are these leaves. There's this doctor who can mix this food and give you. And when you eat it, you feel better. People are not getting the actual help that they need. And unfortunately, that's why rates are still so high yeah people who have cancer dying back home and i'm really hoping that a lot like you said a lot of our african brothers and sisters when you hear this as patients if you're ever in this position or if you ever have family members in this position that you advocate for them i want us to be a continent africa to be a continent where other people can leave their own continent to come there and get treatment not always the other way around, you know, I want to kind of come to a point where we're able to take care of our own. And I also want, especially medical professionals in that field in oncology to make resources available for us because people sometimes just don't bother because they don't want to be turned away. They don't want to be, you know, told that they, not that they don't count, like they express their feelings and what they're dealing with. And then the doctor sends them off, you know? Yeah. But my outlook on life, personally, I live each day so, so grateful for still being here. So many moving parts of my life right now. But I'm always just like, I can only focus on today. Right. We plan, right? And I'm, I'm type A sometimes. I can plan my week out to the very second. But now I'm just learning not to stress and just take things as they come. And yeah. I really hope that because stress is another factor Keeping your stress down is so important. Stress is another factor that really affects your cancer diagnosis and your cancer treatment as well. Stress is another cause of cancer, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So keeping that down definitely helps. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. So from our conversation, there's two, well, three things actually that I have learned, which I want to reiterate 
the importance of checking yourself and being proactive and being, you know, being your advocate, super mm-hmm. important. The second thing is the importance of a support system, especially when you're going through an ordeal such as cancer. Mm-hmm. That has been something very consistent among every single woman that I have spoken to who's had cancer and survived. And then, of course, lastly, is the importance of really keeping sane and focusing and having a healthy mental state. Because sometimes there's going to be days that you will need just your mind and like a strong mental state to pull you through the day. Right. So thank you so much for sharing that. I know that you had like a couple of things to say about like, I I believe you had like a little game that you wanted to play (laughs) so we can have that before we wrap up the conversation. Okay. Before I actually say that, I just want to say with regards to breast cancer, what should you even be looking for? Um, What are some of those signs that you should look for? And say, oh my God, like my aha moment was, what is this nodule? What is this? Why does it keep bugging me? Why does it keep getting bigger? Why do I feel it? If you feel any of these things that I'm about to say, please, please, please reach out to someone, talk to a doc, talk to even a friend and see if they can give you some advice about who to reach out to. Mm-hmm. If you notice a lump, we called it a nodule before, but they usually start small, right? And then mm-hmm. they start growing. If you notice a lump, be sure to talk to someone, especially if that lump was not there before, mm-hmm. or especially if that lump is growing in size. If you notice what we call nipple retraction, normally your nipple is supposed to point out. Mm-hmm. But if it's sinking in, it's a sign that something's in there pulling it down, talking mm-hmm. at it. Make sure that... You're not experiencing that. You're not having what we call retraction or a discharge even. Sometimes it could be stuff coming out of your breast. That's Those are all signs of something wrong. Yeah. You know, dimpling is what they call it. Like if the surface of your breast isn't smooth, like they're little nodules, it looks kind of like the skin of an orange. You know, the orange has yeah. these little dots. If your skin looks like that or there's a discoloration in some form, that's not normal. You should reach out to someone about that. And then the last thing is even pain. Just pain sometimes can be enough. Because what is pain? If you have a tumor and it's compressing a nerve or something, what are you going to experience? Pain, pain right? So those are all some classic signs that I would say, hey, it may not be the result of tumor. I don't want anyone to look at the signs and say, oh, I had a discharge. It's a tumor. No, that is definitely something worth, worth looking checking. Into. Yeah, exactly. So last year, there was a campaign that we did, myself and some friends, and the statistic that we focused on, which you did mention at the start of the podcast, was one in eight women in the U.S. will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their life. Mm-hmm. One in eight. So for every eight women, mm-hmm. one of them will be diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, that's very high. Yeah, It's as high as like having the common cold at winter. Yeah. Cancer is not what it used to be where it's like this. Yeah. You hear about it. You never see anyone who has it. Right. Has it. Right. Right. So what I really want women to do is do your self exams, do your breast exams, do your breast exams, do your breast exams and keep checking, keep 
observing. And overall, if you just don't feel good or feel right about something or your gut tells you something is wrong, reach out and talk to your doctor. Because that was my situation as well. Not just the first time, but most especially the second time. Mm Because they actually sent me back home. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So uh, I have what I call my breast cancer game of threes. So three myths that you should never believe about breast cancer. The first one, it can only happen to old people. Mm -hmm. As we know, that's not true. Right. There are people in their 20s who've had it. There are people, Mm -hmm. there are children that have had it. Yeah, children. So maybe not breast cancer, but cancer as a whole. Mm -hmm. But can only happen to old people. That is not true. Mm-hmm. Can only happen to women. To women, no nope. Men have breast cancer mm-hmm. as well. If you have breast tissue, you are susceptible to breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And the third one is, unfortunately, a lot of places still don't have the medical education that we need. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it is a curse, it is not a curse. Or the fact that you must have the BRCA gene to have it, the breast cancer gene, which is, mm-hmm. you know, what causes breast cancer tumors. You don't have to necessarily have it to have breast cancer. Mm-hmm. In my situation, I don't have the gene. When I got diagnosed, I had some genetic tests done. I don't have the gene, but I do have cancer. Right. So for some people, it's idiopathic, meaning... You don't have an actual cause. Yes. So that's one thing that I want people to know. Um, So those are three myths you should never believe about breast cancer. Three things to look for Mm -hmm. if you think you have breast cancer. I just talked about that. The first one, lumps and nodules in your breast, a nipple discharge or retraction. That's the second one. And the third one is skin dimpling or pain. And then three things to do if you are diagnosed. The first one that I have here is to talk to a primary care doctor and a treatment team. The second one is to talk to your friends, your family, your prayer family, if I can put it that way. Some people appreciate prayer. Some people need um, that person, the family that they can talk to, vent Mm -hmm. to, tell them, delegate to them, assign rules for them. That way they can be there for you. Sometimes people want to be there for you, but they just don't know know how. Yeah. And then the third thing is when you're diagnosed, be vocal about what it is that you want. There's so many treatment options out there. If you feel like one would be better versus another, it's okay to say that, you know, or I know there's some people who believe in plant-based treatment. If they're solely focused on nutrition and if that works for you, that's fine. Another thing is a lot of people who have this type of diagnosis, they always get advice from everywhere. Yeah. Unsolicited advice sometimes, you know, it could be anything from I have this friend who ate turmeric. Mm-hmm. And the cancer disappeared or there's this doctor, he treats with this, that, that, or there's this other one, they freeze the cells. Listen, no particular method is right and no other method is wrong. It is your decision to do that. But before you make that decision, be sure to do your own part, do your research, get online, see what the treatment modalities are, what's involved, and financially too. All of this costs money, right? So, all right, three hormones that can cause breast cancer. We talked about some of them, estrogen, progesterone, and the last one is the... The her too. Yes. And then three tests that you should request if you suspect the three signs I told you about before. The mm-hmm. first one is a mammogram. The second one is an MRI. And the third procedure is a biopsy. Mm-hmm. 
And lastly, three places you can go if you want more information. The American Cancer Society is one of them. And it's actually an organization that I am very passionate about because Mm -hmm. I got a lot of information from them. Also, the other one I have is the National Breast Cancer Foundation. I have actually talked as a volunteer to some people there. I learned a lot. I met a lot of very inspirational women who've been through in some way, my journey, Mm -hmm. um, how they started off, what they did and how they were successful getting to the end of their treatment. And then the last one is Susan G. Common, Race for the Store. And what I love about it is you're getting a workout in, but you're also raising funds that will go out to help other women who have breast cancer, help them finance your treatment, help research as well. Mm Because there's still a lot of research that needs to be done in order to actually find an actual Sure. So, and I also have this information on my blog at mypinkwalk.com. If anyone is interested, you know, with sending me um, questions or concerns or just anything that you want to send as a contact form on there, there's information on the blog about resources regarding like cancer, types of cancers, how you can be there for a cancer patient. There's just some information and links on there. If you ever want to reach out, please feel free to do so. But that's it for the game that I was referring to. Sure. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I really appreciate you. And I'm very grateful that you shared all of this information with us. You know, this, uh, like I said, I'm very passionate about these topics. And despite the fact that the people that I talk to are all like cancer survivors in this case. Every mm-hmm. single time that I have a conversation with one of the survivors, I could ask the same exact question to all of you, but the responses and the whole experience is different. You know, right. and that just goes to show that everybody's experience is different. And, you know, hopefully our community can actually learn from your own experience, which is exclusive to you and use that to, as a resource to now go and be proactive about their lives and you know yeah. pursue the appropriate therapies and just do everything possible to stay healthy. You know, I was super inspired by your story and I can Thank only you. wish you the very best. I have Thank you in you. my prayers, but then I also just wish you all the best. I wish you very good health. I wish you a very thriving life, <laughs> you know, and hopefully the breast cancer is gone and gone, you know. Thank you so much for your strength. Thank you for speaking up and speaking out and be an advocate wherever you can. I truly appreciate you and I appreciate the other people I've spoken to. So I don't know if you have any last words and then we can wrap up. Um, last words, just Anya, thank you so much for having me, first of all. Thank You're you welcome. so, so much. And I really love what you're using your podcast for reaching out to so many people, men, women, and the content that you have on there. I am so grateful that you've had me on your platform and had me share my story. And I'm hoping that my story will be someone might get something from it, even if it's just one or two things, you know. And I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for being so gracious to me. And I hope that anyone who's listening in, if you haven't started already moving forward every month, do your exam. Yes, yes. (laughs) Thank you so much, Mabi. It was such a pleasure having you. you.
and That's I hope the conversation today. doesn't end Thank here. Like I said, and I hope the community can share this episode and the podcast and have these conversations that we tend to spark on here. Have those with their circles and keep the conversation going. Thank you so much, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.